be in Matthew 24, and we're going to begin in Luke 13, and we're going to look in Mark 13, <laughs> and Luke 21. We're going to be in three different chapters off and on this morning, if you have a marker. The 24th of Matthew, the 13th of Mark, and the 21st of Luke, they are the same basic story. I want to see the differences and add some commentary. So this is what is called, in most of your Bibles and most commentaries, the Olivet Discourse. It is the prophecies the Lord gives on Mount Olivet on his way to the cross. All three of the chapters give a little bit different commentary, and I think it's all worth looking at. And so I mentioned this in the Sunday School Hour. Last week we looked at several scriptures I don't mean to be tedious, but it's the safest place for us to be is in the scriptures, and today we'll end with even more. And so I appreciate your, your putting up with that, and, and, uh, and if you're a note taker, if you just jot down the references along the way and look them up later, but listen as we read them and see the, the correlation, that would be good, I think. And so we begin in Mark uh, chapter 13, because we're, we're teaching through the uh, Gospel of Mark, and this is our return to Mark after some weeks now. We took a, a side trip and, and uh, talked about salvation some. But this is now the passage of Scripture where the Lord begins to teach about the days to come, the prophecies of the days to come for his disciples. And before we begin, we're going to pray about this, that we understand it and we be in one heart and a attitude of proper worship. But um, I have from Richard here some prayer requests I want to get out. If you have prayer requests, I'm glad to share them. My mind isn't very good at remembering, so if you write them down, I'm better at sharing them. And so we want to pray for Sharon Faraday. Sharon, uh, she has bad leg pain. So we'll pray for her this morning. And all of you, we all can identify with that from time to time. And the imprisoned church, uh, many in many nations, and there are, there are, and we're only blessed by God today to be here. God has allowed us still to meet in churches. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people who would want the other way, and man, they, they, uh, they're enforced, but God is strong. And pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in the church. Well, we need it. Agree with that. And so whatever your needs are, whatever your prayer requests are, God knows. God knows. And we have many. And the honest person has more than the dishonest person. But we absolutely have prayer concerns that we take to the Lord. And I hope you're a prayer warrior. I hope you're in the attitude of prayer often and constantly, as the Bible says. And so let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Our Father, we thank you for the time to come together here. Lord, we're so grateful, so grateful that you're here with us. You promised to be where two or more are gathered in your name, and we surely are. And so we welcome you here this morning. We worship you. We pray that you and your, by your spirit, and in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, would just teach us the things of the Word of God that authored this book. You know the meaning of it all. May that be imparted to us as we study. May your divine grace. Teach us from your word today, we pray. 
Give us hearts quieted from the events and cares of this world. Allow us to sit in your presence today and just absolutely, absolutely revel in the fact that you're here with us and you're our teacher and you're our comforter and mostly you're our savior. Lord, we thank you for loving us enough to come and die in our place and just pray that you would give us by your spirit the strength, the courage, and the wisdom to live our lives for you. Help us to do your will, your plan, your purpose for our lives through your spirit. And so, Father, we ask now for all the prayer requests that are on the hearts of everyone listening, our families, our friends, our co-workers, those that we care about, those that we know of who need you, and maybe just more of you. We pray that would be the outcome, Father, by your grace. Teach us today, comfort us, be with us, give us minds to understand, hearts to believe. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we have what's called the Olivet Discourse. What we don't have is the same commentary in all three Gospels where it is mentioned and taught. But there are differences that I think are fascinating, and I think they're in the Holy Spirit that we put the scriptures together and have a complete picture, a more complete picture. In Matthew, and we're not, don't go there, but we're, we're in Mark 13, but in Matthew, just as Christ would denounce the Pharisees, you remember, he denounced the Pharisees, give them seven woes and judgments, the opposites of the beatitude blessings to his children, to his followers. He denounced the Pharisees and the scribes of his day with the and their same order, and they're the opposite of what he blessed with in the Beatitudes. He opened his ministry. The first word from the Lord's mouth, as recorded in the Bible, the first word from God's mouth as he began to preach the gospel in this world is this repent. Now I think that means something. I think it means something when the first thing out of the mouth of this Lord is repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. That's the first statement he made. The second thing he did was record his the Beatitudes. He said he gathered the crowds around him and began to teach. They gave the Beatitudes. The Sermon on the Mount. He opened with a sermon. But I'm telling you the fact that I've preached now for a number of years. I couldn't be more glad about that. I couldn't be more excited about the opportunity. But I want to say to you this. I've never preached a sermon that I know of, that I believe in, that I put together in any way that isn't already taught in the Sermon on the Mount. The principle is there. That was the perfect sermon. You believe that? Lord, it's, it's, it's in three chapters of the Bible, 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, and it's God preaching a sermon. It's the perfect sermon. I've never hit a topic. I've never expounded a truth that wasn't rooted in the Sermon on the Mount. But he said this. Lay up not for yourselves treasures upon the earth. You remember that? In the middle of the sermon. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Just a little flippant remark to, to many people. I'm telling you, that is the crux of the matter. Live your life here for him. And then he closed with that portion of the scripture saying this. Seek first the kingdom and I'll give you everything else. All these things shall be added unto you if you seek first the kingdom of God and his rightness or his righteousness. If you do that first, I'll give you everything else. Is that how we do it? We're the backward children, aren't we? 
We seek everything first and squeeze him in later, a little bit, hour here, an hour there, maybe. And if we happen to put a little money in the plate, woo, we got him in this, we got him now. We got him down with his arm behind his back. Uncle's going to come out. No. It's such a privilege to serve him, to love him back, to give back of what he's given to us in abundance so freely. Such a privilege. He denounces the Pharisees. His own disciples saw him twice cleanse the temple that he kept calling. He repeatedly referred to as my father's house. He said, they've desecrated my father's house. They've desecrated my father's house. And twice, early in John is recorded. And then just before this sermon, he cleanses the temple. And when they reject him for that final time, oh, he says this. Your house is left unto you desolate. Do you know what? Anything that Christ has abandoned, anything that Christ is not in, is desolate. If your marriage is Christless, it's a desolate marriage. If your business, if your home, if your family, if your workplace, if your bank account, if anything that you have, that you call any value, is without Christ, it is desolate. And that means devoid of value forever. Devoid of value forever. I leave to you your house now, he said. Think of that. Think of the scathing denunciation by the Christ saying this. My father's house, my father's house. That was the place to worship his father in spirit and in truth that they had set up. The temple. Now it's the church. But you know what the Lord said just before he left his disciples? Now, he leaves that scene, and it's recorded in Matthew 23. He leaves that scene and goes out over the Kidron Valley, over the creek, and he goes up a little bit, turns around, and looks back at the temple and the city. And he stops with his disciples. And it's a fascinating picture. They're in awe of the beauty of the temple. And they asked the Lord, can you see it? He asked them the question, can you see? Can you see? It'll be destroyed shortly and not one stone left upon another. Can you see that? There's a spiritual vision and there's a physical vision in this world. And I'm telling you, I've learned in my lifetime that we go through this world and we, we don't know what we're looking at a lot of times. Probably most of the time. We don't know what we're looking at. Not really. Not really. We see with physical eyes in the spiritual world. Jesus turned with them and looked, and they said, Lord, do you see the magnificence and the beauty and the splendor of this building? And he said, can't you see that it's not going to last, that it's over, it's already over? But he took them farther down the road, and as we unfold the Bible in the days to come, we'll find that he took them to a place just before his crucifixion and said, in my Father's house are many mansions, the real house of my Father. The one that you can't touch and we can't touch and the one that cannot be defiled is many mansions, many manses, many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm not lying to you. It's true. You can trust it with all your heart. There are many dwelling places in my Father's house and I go to prepare a place for you and if I go, I will come again. Isn't that something? Mm -hmm. 
Think of it. Think of it this morning about this Christ who was so willing to die in our place. And he said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. You think it would be a nice place? You think he's a shoddy workman? You think he quits when the, when the day gets long and he gets tired? If the job done properly or not, he moves on. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come again and receive you. And oh, what a message that is. But the heavenly temple, or the earthly temple, he abandoned it. He abandoned it to the sinners who will not. And free will is his mode of operation, by the way. That's the 24th of Matthew. We'll find that is how this begins. And he leaves them and denounces them. He leaves the temple desolate. He goes across the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives, heading up the Mount of Olives there. It says in Matthew 13 and 1 that as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Master, see the manner of stones and what buildings are here? And Jesus answered and said to him, Seest thou? Lord, do you see that? He said, Do you? Do you? Can I tell you this morning the Lord can see more clearly than we can? And you and I can believe him. The Lord answered and said, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? It's actually three questions. Here's his disciples. And they believed at this point, clear to this point, that they're believing that he was going to come and take charge and rule this world, set up a kingdom. And they saw him cleanse the temple twice, and the people did leave and left when he was there. And then he sat there the second time. He taught daily there for, it looks like, a little over a week. He sat there and taught and kept an eye on it. And they walked in and didn't look at him. And they wouldn't do their normal uh, acts of debauchery at the temple. They would behave themselves while Jesus was there. Can I tell you something about God? When he does it, when he does it and he means it, you'll do it. You'll do it. He's given us free will on earth, but I'm telling you, when people stand before him one day, he's not the one on trial. You know how many people tell me that Jesus is the one on trial? Well, I'm going to ask him a question or two, and he's going to answer those before I go into his heaven. I tell everyone that tells me that, you have no worries about going into his heaven. Don't you worry about that. That's the least of your worries is going into heaven if you believe Jesus Christ is on trial before you. You know, you know the number one answer, the number one reason they say that to me? He allows children to suffer. Can I tell you something this morning? You and I do not have more character than Jesus Christ. We don't have better character than Jesus Christ. Does it hurt our hearts to see children suffer? You better know it. If you're a normal, decent person, you better know that watching children and knowing about children suffering is one of the most painful things we can live through. But what about the cross? What about it? Do you know, you know that when God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit before the world began in eternity, eternity past 
when they decided that they were going to create this world and populate this world, and they decided to give free will. And God said to the Son, the Father said to the Son, I can't dwell with that. I can't be with sin. And there has to be a payment. There has to be judged and cleansed. And Jesus said, I'll go. You know, suffering involved in the heart of God to know what men and women were going to do and create them and watch them do it. We live in a world today. And I guess it's not so much different than the world in the days past, but it's we have better media now. There's ugliness in the world. There's pure evil in this world. Always has been since the garden. Pure evil. People delight in hurting children. They delight to live for it. They yes, and they and they prosper financially. All kinds of all kinds of very deep and dark things. Giving little children drugs. Taking their innocence from them. Taking them from their parents. Using them for any mean, anything that would in their mind prosper them. One little deal. One thing. Governments have lined up through the years to take everything that people have, give them back dribs and drabs, and they call it good. Don't have to be that way. The reason that people are afraid to give over to Jesus Christ is because they've been under the authority of somebody who's wicked in their lifetime. I want to tell you who's easiest in my lifetime to witness to, to bring to Jesus Christ, is a young man whose father his heart could trust. A young man whose father, who said and did what he said and was good to his mother and his siblings and was an honest man, a decent man, that is the easiest one to bring to Jesus Christ. You want to know why? wasn't heard under someone's authority through the years going, he said what, but he never did it. He said one thing, but he never lived it out. He talked this way over here, but he didn't do that when he was home with us. The easiest person to bring to Jesus Christ, in my experience, is a person whose mother has a mother's heart. A mother who has a mother's heart. I couldn't believe it when I grew up and got into ministry particularly and started finding how many mothers do not have a mother's heart. They had children, but they're in the way. They had children, but they just talk about this. Oh, they're going to grow and get out of here one of these days. Your best days are when they're underfoot. Praise God. Your best days are when your children are saying, how should I govern myself? What should my life be? What should I do with my years and my days? What should I do, Dad? What should I do? And if you're any kind of dad, they say this, I want to be like my dad. Well, you're ahead of the game, I'll tell you. You're ahead of the game. Your best days are when your kids are dirty in the house up and eating all your food. Praise God. You sit there with each other one of these days and go, well, that leftovers are going bad. Got nothing to do. The house don't get dirty anymore. I don't have the energy to dirty it up like I used to, I guess. But can I tell you this? God gives you little ones, and He's trusting you to train them up in the way of Christ. He's trusting you. It's a big responsibility, but it's a joyous life. How could it be hard? To what kind of heart is it hard to, to have a child and love them? What kind of heart has trouble with that? Well, the selfish heart. The black heart. The nefarious heart. 
has trouble with that. These disciples believed that Jesus Christ was going to take over and be the king and come back and rule, pull the sword out and take, take prisoners. and They didn't understand it. And can I say to you this, Matthew 24 and 25 and then the 13th of Mark and the 21st of Luke and all of the discourse is hard for us to decipher today. And they were hearing it for the first time. And they had a whole different plan. And I want to tell you something about plans. Jesus will disrupt them. He'll disrupt your plans. He disrupts mine all the time. If we make plans without the Christ, if we make plans ignorantly, not knowing what the purpose is, he'll disrupt them, and I'm glad he does. I'm glad he said no to so many of my prayers. No. 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 Lord, I've been thinking about it, and I think that looks good, and I've thought about it, and I really think that's what we should do. You think we should do that? He said, no. But I thought we should have. He said, I said, no. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. I'm going to tell you one thing. Looking back about three, four, five, six, seven years, you're so glad the Lord said no to those things. I am. He said, no. I want it. No. Are you mature enough to thank him for that? Now, I want you to look in verse 5 of 13th of, of Mark with me. And I'm going to do this kind of rapid fire because I want you to see it. We're going to move along. The way that Mark is written is immediately and immediately and, 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 and. And I want you to see here how Mark, and it probably is the gospel according to Peter, honestly. See that the historical accounts all agree. And it sounds like Peter. Anyway, it says Mark. And we're going to say Mark. And so it says in verse 5, And Jesus answering began to say, What's the first thing he says when they ask him a question about the end times, about prophetical things? He says, Take heed. Now folks, I really believe these things mean something. Amen, I believe brother. when Jesus spoke, he said what he meant, meant what he said, and when he said, Take heed, beware, and watch, we ought to take heed, beware, and watch. And do you know how many people are telling me now? I'm serious, now listen to me. Listen to this. How many people, when I witness of their judgment to come and their future with Christ, have very little uh, care about those things? I'm saved, I'm good, that's all there is, folks. That is the lowest of the forms of Christianity. And it's prevalent today in the churches. Jesus said, and we're going to get into something here which I'm going to preach to you maybe three ways and let you decide. It is the parable of the ten virgins. All the commentaries are full. I've read till I'm, I've read till I know what the world believes about the ten virgins. It's in this parable. It's in the 25th of Matthew. It's in this account. You know what he said to the ten? They all, they all were invited to the wedding. They were in the wedding party. They were all virgins. They all had light. And they all had oil. Light is a, in Scripture, as I read it, light is indicative of our witness in this world. We give off light. The oil is indicative of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the oil, the golden oil. It's the Holy Spirit. And so the light, fueled by the Holy Spirit, the witness, fueled by the Holy Spirit, they're waiting for the bride, to, for the groom to come and the wedding party to proceed. 
And there was a delay, and he didn't come, and they all fell asleep. All of them. I want you to think about this before we get to it. I want you to read it. I want you to see what you think. But I'm telling you this, it's not funny. Oh, God, now it's a parable. Also, Jesus just told silly stories in the meantime. Meaningless, silly stories. Is that what he did? He said there were ten virgins. They all fell asleep. They all had lamps. And they're all, if you go back to the Eastern and the Orient, if you go back to the times, they were part of the wedding party. They were all given a dress. They were all given a lamp. They were all given oil. They were all given a place to wait. It was all the same. Everybody had the same amount. But five of those virgins, they all fell asleep waiting for the bridegroom. And five of them planned ahead, got more oil. The others, the oil ran out. So far, so good. At the end of it, it's this way. They came and knocked on the door and said, we want to come to the wedding feast. And he said, I don't know you. And he shut the door. Now, Don, don't be preaching that. It's something that Christ meant. That was a story. Just take it as a story. Of course, God comes here and tells stories with very little meaning. That's what he does, you know. I don't believe it like most people believe it. I believe this. I believe this. In the teaching of the last days and the way the world's going to be and what the outcome's going to be, he said this. You better be prepared now. I'm telling you. When I come back, I better find you working for me. I better find you watching. When I return, and no man knows the day or the hour, not even Christ himself. He said he didn't know. He said, when I come back, I better find you diligent. I better find you working. I better find you doing my work. Oh, Don, come on now. Don't talk like that. That's just this parable, and it just has a general application, and it's a broad story, and there's not a lot of meaning there. You're reading too much into it. Really? Before God, I'm not going to tell you I'm reading too much into any of the scripture. I don't read enough out of it to tell you the truth. I don't know enough to read it all out of there, let alone read things into it. But I'm telling you, as we get into this in the next two weeks, I want you to consider that. And then the person with the hidden talents, he said he gave us the two parables he gave. He gave the man of his several abilities, he said. His own individual abilities, and he gave them those abilities and come back and said, how did you use your abilities? Well, our response to his abilities or our responsibility while we're here to do what he gifted us to do. And uh, again, I don't be reading too much into that. I believe with everything in my flesh this morning, in my spirit, my soul, in my mind, I believe this. The Lord's going to come back and ask me one day this. Did you do what I told you to do? Did you do the job I gave you to do? I grew up with, uh, I had four brothers, four sisters. I could point the finger and say they didn't do it either. It never got me very far. But when I stand before the Christ, he's going to say, did you do what I gifted you to do? Gave you the tools to do? And told you to do? Did you get it done? What are you going to say? What am I going to say? What are you going to say? That was just a parable... Lord, you're not going to hold that against me. 
You mean you gave me the gifts and the tools and the time and the talents and the treasures and a nice home to do it from and a good, easy job? You gave me all that and expected me to do it? That's a parable. That's one of your silly stories. You do what you want. But I'm telling you this. You mock him now, it won't be funny looking in his eyeballs. Those flames of fire are going to try every soul and every spirit, and it is. Absolutely. A tribunal. Nothing we say is going to change the outcome. He already knows the answer. He's going, to, he's going to tell us, this is what I know about you. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to tell you this. Oh, he loves us, and he gave us so much. Is it too much for him to expect us to use it how he told us? Christians are lackadaisical today. I mean, it's, I know, I know the Bible. I'm going to do what I want to do. And if I put some money in the plate and I go to church once in a while, we're good. I don't believe that for five seconds. He asked for you and me, total abandonment to him. Total abandonment. Amen. He does. He demands it. He demands it. What do we, how do you, where do we get that? If any man will come after me, there's an if, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Deny yourself, die, and then follow me. Deny your flesh, die to self, and follow me. Did he mean that or not? Is he going to hold that against us? Would he have the gall to hold that against you and me? Well, this slide says, take heed. Take heed, lest any deceive you. Now I want to show you some things from this chapter. We're going to move very quickly and get through this, and we're going to come back and hit it next week in a different fashion. But I want you to see that it says, take heed in verse 5. Take heed, lest any man deceive you. It says in verse 9, take heed to yourselves. It says in verse 23, but take ye heed, because I've told you these things. It says in verse 33, take ye heed, and then under the same basic word, 35 says watch, and verse 37. The end of this message in recorded Mark says this, verse 37 of Thirteenth of Mark says this, and what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch, watch. Do you know a lot of Christians who are watching for His return? Watching. Do I don't? I don't think I do. Well, I mean, watching for His return. He says, "In a day when you think not, in a day when you think not." Okay. So in that passage you saw, take heed, take heed, take heed, take heed four times. And then he said twice, I want you to watch. Now I want you to see something else. Verse 5 says, take heed, it says many, in verse 6, many shall come. And here's the word I'm looking at now, shall. He's not saying might in his teaching of the prophecy of the days to come. He says, these things are sure. These are the sure things you can trust and know are coming. These are the things to prepare your heart, life, and your, yourself for. These are the things that will come to pass. 
He says, shall. He says in verse 6, many shall come in my name. And verse 6 says, and shall deceive many. This is not might. This is not could be. This is not perhaps or by chance. This is not anything but this. This is what's going to happen. Many are going to come and shall come in my name and shall deceive. Verse 8 says, nation shall rise against nation. Verse 8 says, there shall be famines, troubles. It says in verse 9, uh, yourselves shall be beaten and shall be brought before rulers and kings. It says in verse 11, they shall lead you to be delivered up. It says, take no thought what you shall speak, for whatsoever shall be given you that hour. Verse 12 says, brothers shall betray the brother to death. Children shall rise up and shall cause them to be put to death. It says in verse 14, ye shall see the abomination. It says in verse 19, in those days shall be affliction. And such is so great, it says, that nothing has ever been or neither shall be. In verse 21 it says, If any man shall say unto you, verse 22, False Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs. It says in 24, The sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. Verse 25, The stars shall fall and the powers shall be shaken. Verse 26, then shall they see the sun. Verse 27, then shall he send his angels. Verse 29, when ye shall see these things come to pass. No, it's not. Verse 30, it says, the generation shall not pass. Verse 31 says, and the earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Do you see how certain he gave the answer? There is no if, but, maybes. And when I read the commentaries on these things, a hundred years ago, people believed me. Men used to write a hundred years ago. Men of God used to write a hundred years ago. I have to read the paragraph three times to get it. Now I look at it, it's in sloppy English, and it uses uh, the verbiage of the day. Man, those guys are not going to do the rut. It's just it's almost hard to read because it's so sloppy. It used to be written in a way that it was clear and concise and said this. This is what it says. This is what's going to happen. Now, it says this clearly, but what that means in particular, it's hard to get all together. But it, this much we know is going to happen because he says it shall. It shall. And he says, take heed, this is going to happen. Take heed, this is going to happen. You better watch, because these things shall come to pass. They shall come to pass. Can you imagine being one of his disciples there that day as he spoke? Everything he said, he one more thing upon the other, upon the other, upon the other. The three questions they asked, one was the destruction of the temple. That one we know from history, 70 AD, when Titus went in and destroyed the temple. The next two questions are still out there for us. But we know this. They shall happen. They sure Amen. shall. Amen. They sure shall. Because Jesus said so. The one who said to the stars, be, and they were. The one who said to the fish, 
inhabit the waters, and they did. The one that said to the universe, be calm, and it did. He said, these things are going to happen. Guess what I believe? They're going to happen. Every Amen, jot, brother. Every jot and every tittle, every dotting of the I and crossing of the T, the Lord said, it will come to pass. It will come to pass. Now, it may not come to pass in my lifetime. That doesn't mean it's not going to come to pass. And that's what we're going to end up with this morning. I want you to go to the 21st of Luke. Luke in 21. Luke in 21. And this is written very much the way that Mark is. And they saw the treasury being money being dropped into the treasury and it began in verse 5 of the 21st of Luke and it says that some spake of the temple how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts he said Jesus said as for these things which ye behold the day will come in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down and they asked him saying master but when shall these things be and what sign will there be of these things? It shall come to pass. But they believed him. They said, what's the sign of these things that shall come to pass? And he said, take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not, therefore, after them. But when ye shall hear of wars and commotion, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass. But the end is not by and by. And he said to them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom shall rise against kingdom. And great earthquakes shall be in diverse or diverse places, and famines and pestilence and fearful sights and great signs shall be there from heaven. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons being brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Set it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what ye shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay or resist. And ye shall be betrayed both of parents and brethren and kinfolk and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, and there shall not an hair of your head perish. I wanted to get this morning to verse 19. Not recorded in, in the rest of the Bible. The Holy Spirit records through Luke, the Lord saying, In your patience, possess your souls. In your patience. Cheerful endurance. <laughs> Cheerfully endure while you're here. Possess your soul. Take charge of your life is what it says. The most inner part, who you really are, who is going to be here after this body dies. Your soul and your spirit, your thought life, your, 
everything that your soul is, everything minus the flesh. You know what soul food is? You know when someone has soul, what that means? Yeah. I went between churches one day. I went between churches and I went downtown to a church and it was a friend of mine who's a black preacher and the church is full of black people. And I was, I was the only one who wasn't. And so I thought I'd sneak in and hear a good message and go home. That didn't happen. Man, there were hats and jewelry and feathers, and man, they had it. They were dressed up and they were there to worship. And I'll tell you something. I said, the preacher said to me, Well, I believe a friend of mine came in this morning. <laughs> he said, I know he's here. He looks like a light bulb in the back of the room. And uh, he called me up front. I thought he was going to introduce me and tell everybody how lovely I am and all that. What he said was, I don't know a preacher worth his salt that doesn't get spoken to by the Lord daily. Tell us what he's been telling you. My brother, say on. <laughs> and I said, well, okay. And he said, before we do, brother, I want you to lead the singing. Now, I'm the only guy in the room that can't sing. I'm the only fellow in the room that can't sing. And I said, are you sure? And he said, it's your day. You're here, my friend. Say on. And he sat over here, and his, his legs and stuff, everything was going before the piano started. And the whole congregation got to doing that. I thought, man, it's like them dogs in the back of the window. Everybody's moving. The car with bad shocks on it. I mean, everybody's moving. And he said, okay, brother, sing it out. <laughs> I opened my mouth, and they drowned me out, thank God. They drowned me out with some of the best thing I ever heard in my life. Amen, brother. Some of them were clapping, and a few were out in the aisle. Hey, praise God, I've been there. And they were pointing to the Christ. I've been there. And I'll tell you something. As I gave that message, as I gave that message, that place was alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd make a statement about the Word of God that's absolutely the truth, and I'd hear from them, oh, yeah, you bring that. I started reading the scripture, they started reading it back. And I'm like, man, it's going to be easy. They're preaching it for me. But can I tell you something? They come in here and preach a funeral service. You know, Babby Mason, you don't remember Babby Mason, each one, each one. I saw her on Charles Stanley one Sunday afternoon. I'm sitting there with a bowl of popcorn. Had my good nap on Sunday. Charles Stanley came on 3 o'clock. I was up for my nap after church. A bowl of popcorn, my little daughter on the floor on a, on a towel. And we're watching Charles Stanley. Babby Mason comes on. Black woman sings each one or each one. Now wouldn't that, wouldn't that feel heaven up if each one of us reached one? Just each one reached one. And she said, she sang that song. And, and Charles Stanley walks over and put his arm around her and said, Babby, that's beautiful. Thank you. And she said, okay, but... What's wrong here? <laughs> he said, what? He said, you people don't know reverence from rigor mortis. You dead. She said, I sang that last week. I couldn't even hear myself saying it. Today, I didn't know you were here. She said, it's okay. It's okay. They have the spirit of God. Amen, brother. Charles got a little, seemed like you got kind of embarrassed. You know what I'm saying? But I went down there and preached to people. I'm going to tell you one thing. 
I said, I, I thought this was a prejudiced statement in my youth, but you people have soul. And they said, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I found out about the men of God and the Christians, the Christians that I enjoy being around, pastors or not, just Christians, are passionate people. Oh, they get angry for more than they should probably. They get worked up over different but, uh, people with passion. This thing of walking around with, um, I'm not going to have any emotions about it, Passive, aggressive, all that, all that, whatever they're talking about in the world today. But that walking around with this arrogance of, you can't make me have an opinion about that or show any emotion whatsoever. That's so anti-Christ. It says Jesus turned with a loud voice. He rebuked them, saying, "Loud voice, wasn't hateful. He loved them. He loved them so much he couldn't stand it when they were so wrong." But the Christians I enjoy the most are people with passion. Well, they can be wrong. They, they can be wrong, and you have to endure that with each other. We have our faults, but the people with passion. You know what David did? David did it with passion, whatever he did. But when he killed somebody, he killed them. When he hugged somebody, he hugged them. Even when he stepped out of the bounds of his marriage, he did it with energy and vigor. And you know what David did before the Lord? He worshiped with passion. When he sinned, he sinned like he meant it. When he asked forgiveness before God, he had a passion. That's who God calls. That's who God calls. People aren't called to the Christian faith by people who walk around like, they're just not. Why are you drawn to a lump of clay? I mean, what is that? I've heard this more than any other thing about my ministry over the years. You don't act like a preacher. Folks, I take that as a compliment. You don't act like a preacher. Well, you come to the house and laugh with us. And I will if you feed me first. And it's not very funny if I'm hungry. But if, uh, yeah, so, that's right. But you know what? I'm not here to judge you. I am not here to judge you. I'm here to tell you everything God tells me. As clearly and as honestly as I can tell you. And you believe it, you don't believe it. I do it because I love you. Boy, it's hard to get spit in the face with someone you love. But it happens regular. I love you enough to tell you the truth. I love God more. And I'm going to tell His truth every chance I get. And I don't care about your opinion about it, really. I don't care about your reaction to it. I'm here to tell the truth of God the best I get it from Him that I can faithfully do it. And the best way is to use a lot of His Word. But you see, Jesus denounced them. And he, he said, Your house is left unto you desolate. How many times would I have come and gathered you as a mother hen and chicks under His wings? But you would not. You can have it, it's yours. You want to go in there and defile that thing? It is desolate now. You want to defile your home, your marriage, your bank account, your friendships? You want to defile them? They're yours. Tear them up. Be as nasty as you can be. But you'll face me one day. And you can say, I didn't need you. 
And Lord, they'll say, oh, you needed me. You sure needed me. No, Lord, I did good without you. He said, you didn't do one thing without me. You didn't have the breath in your lungs, the brain in your head, the blood in your system without me. You didn't do one thing without me. Folks, nowhere said it but Luke. And Luke's the one who said of the the good ground of the sower's parable, the good and the honest heart. Boy, it changes everything. Who, who bears real fruit? The good and the honest heart. And you know what it ends up with? Because they have repented. Read the word. Because they repented. Their heart is honest. They stood before God and said, you're right. I'm wrong. You are right. And whatever you say, you're right. You're right. And I'll argue with you. There's nothing to argue. I don't think when we look in his eyes we'll be able to argue, but I will say this. Whatever he says is right. And so the last thing he says as he tells about the final days and all the things that shall come to pass, he says this. In your patience, in your cheerful endurance, possess your soul. Possess the life I gave you. Possess the soul. The soul is where we worship. The soul is where the spirit and the soul come together and we worship. I was talking to that church and after the church, the lady said, what are you doing now? And I said, I'm going to go home. And she said, my mother is making dinner. Preacher, you're welcome to come. Man, are you good? She said, we get home after church and sing and talk about the scriptures for a while. And we eat about 5, 30, 6 o'clock. I said, well, I'll go home and eat and come back and have that later. Because <laughs> we did our house, we think about those things while we're eating. And she said, oh, we sing and we pray and we... And it's about 5 o'clock before we eat. But more than when we eat. And so I asked the pastor, I said, was she serious? He goes, yeah, I've been there a couple times. They started at 5, they ended at 11 o'clock on Sunday night. They eat for four hours, five hours. My kind of place. She said, Mom, making greens. Riding up some chicken. Well, she knew what she was doing. But I had a wife and kids to go home to. Had to do it. But you know that would have been a good fellowship. Don't you know it would have been a good fellowship? Real good fellowship. Because in their patience, and I asked them about that, what's the joy in here? What's the difference of you people? And they said, we believe the Lord's going to do it in his timing. You hear that? They said, we believe the Lord's going to do everything he said he's going to do. But he's going to do it when he says. Praise God. Not what we want. I can't help but believe that's what that means, to possess your souls in patience. Lord, what, and I tell them now, whatever you say, I'll do. Until then, I'll, uh, your time and not mine. You'll come when you come. I've been, I've been uh, impatient in my life in the last couple of years. I really want some things to happen. Really want to see some things happen. But you know what? It will in His time. And in the meantime, I need to have a cheerful endurance. 
Well, that comes and goes, doesn't it? You've got to work on that. Cheerful endurance. Are there things against me in this world? Are there things that happen to me? Are there things that go on in this world I don't like? I'm in the same world you're in. Tons. Every day, all day. It's called the, the. It's dark here, honestly. I have this vision of heaven that when we get there, the light's going to be. We're going to be able to see forever. There's nothing. I think our air is full of stuff, and it's just like through a glass darkly now. I really believe it's just. It's all muted. But in heaven, with our new eyes, and no sin, and no pollutants. We're going to be able to just see. It's going to be so bright and colorful and wonderful and lovely. But until then, until then, we do what he told us to do here. And that's how you're rewarded. That's how, if you love me, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. When I close with that this morning, this is what I want to ask you. Do you want to stand before Christ one day and say, I didn't want to keep your commandments. I had things to do. If you could just know the brilliance of the idea that I had outside of your ideas, how sharp I was. What I had going on. Who needed me so bad? And I supplied so much to so many of all my gifts. The Lord said, well, I think it's going to be wailing and gnashing of teeth. I believe this when the Lord says, I'll close, I promise. If you would have done what I told you to do, gifted you to do, gave you the tools to do, they would have been saved. But they were not. You did what you wanted to do. I gave you a voice. I gave you the tools. I gave you an understanding. And you came and went every week. And you understood it. And all that really did for you was make you angry against the rest of the world who didn't understand it. You just sat there and got bitter. But if you would have done what I told you to do, I believe with everything in me. That's the judgment. Wood, hay, and stubble. Your works for you. Gold, silver, precious stones, the work of the Lord, refined. Wood, hay, and stubble, burn up. That's what you did for you. And if you would have done what I empowered you to do, what I gifted you to do, what I called you to do, what I commanded you to do, what I asked you to do, be it one soul or hundreds would have gotten saved and been in the kingdom, but you wouldn't do it. Well, they don't like it when I say that at work. I said at a hotel once, I was there having lunch and I put my head in someone's head, someone told me they thought that was bad. What's your excuse? I mean, what is your excuse? You want to know what it really is? We simply don't believe it. We don't believe it the way the Lord said it. If we could have a vision of who he is, my people perish, he said, for lack of vision. If we could really see who he is and what he's done for us. Praise God. You'd run out of here today. Amen, brother. You would run to the streets and beg people. Yeah. Come to him. Right. Come to him. He loves you. You come to him now and blessings here and many, many, many more to come or else you suffer here and suffer for eternity. And that people say, no, I'd rather suffer. I know it. I hear it every day. But listen, he loves you. Oh, he loves you. We're going to hit some more of this next week. I know that thrills you. You're excited about it more than I am. I know that. 
But folks, it's so good. It's so good that Jesus sat down with his disciples when he left the temple desolate. He said, I'm done with that. He turned all of his attention. That's what he does, by the way. When the world has it, when the world does its worst, he brings his children closer. Isn't that right? Praise God. He says, Amen, brother. I'm done with them. Now you come here to me and listen. And he says, you see, that's not going to last. It's over. It's desolate. I'm done with it. Gone. And when the world, when he, when he rejects the world, it won't come to him. He brings his children closer and gets very intimate with them and tells them what's going to happen. I'm so glad. Aren't you glad? That's how much he loves us. You want to know? He'll tell you. You really want to know? I promise he'll tell you. Father, we thank you for this hour. We thank you for the day. We thank you for life. We thank you that you've called us to your side and pray that we'd have the strength and the character through your spirit and the power to do those things you've called us to do. Lord, help us to live for you, we pray now. Show us who you are. Give us a great vision of your glory. Help us to see with spiritual understanding who you are and who we are because of you. Go with us now and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother.